Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, I'll warn you up front that this is a little longer than I had hoped, but I pray that you'll stay engaged with me as we seek to find the will of God for us this morning through the scriptures. Last week, we saw in Daniel chapter 10 how God immediately answered Daniel's 21 days of crying, fasting, and praying by sending an angel to deliver him the word of truth. And we saw that it took the angel 21 days to get to Daniel because of the fierce battle that was being fought in the spiritual realm. 21 days the angel fought the prince of Persia, a demon charged by Satan to intercept the word of truth, lest it be delivered to Daniel and the man of God be strengthened in his faith and trust in God by that word and by the ministry of the angel sent by God. We pondered the principle that our prayers to God move heaven. As God's people, we're to be engaged in the spiritual battle through prayer. Now, I believe that all of heaven is waiting for the children of God to stand upon the delivered word of truth, to pray words that agree with that word, and move angels into action to minister to the bride of Christ, his church. This week, I want us to continue this discussion of prayer from another point of view. I want us to look today in Romans chapter 8, but before we talk about prayer, I want us first to pray. I felt led yesterday to write down the prayer that I was praying um, in preparation for this message because it's an intentional prayer. And I did not want to forget what I felt the Lord was prompting me to pray. So I'm gonna ask that you please close your eyes and bow before the Lord and let's agree in the spirit. Father, I pray for an anointing on your word this morning. May your word be living and active in our midst. We set our hearts and our affections on you and you alone in this moment. We set aside by an act of our will and by the confession of our mouths, every thought or intention or concern that is not centered on you, worthy of you, pleasing to you, or glorifying to you. Lord, may we operate and cooperate in your spirit this morning and not in our flesh. Lord, may your word go forth this morning to accomplish every purpose that you've intended for our fellowship as followers of Jesus. May we be teachable to your spirit this morning. May we be alert and sober to what you would say to us this day. Holy Spirit, we've come to receive the word of truth, the words of life, and we thank you that you've agreed to be in our midst. Holy Spirit, even now, I pray that you would move within our homes, consecrating us, for we want to be holy as you are holy. We want to be holy yours. Holy Spirit, help our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Holy Spirit, intercede for us in ways too deep for words. Lord, search our hearts and intercede for the saints gathered in this online room according to the will of God. Lord, make our hard hearts tender. If we're proud, make us humble. May we repent and return to you in areas of disobedience that times of refreshing would come from your presence. Lord, seek that among us that's been lost. Restore us to yourself. 
Lord, even as you speak your word this morning, I pray that you would begin to heal where healing is needed, to encourage where one is in despair, to give peace where fear is taken hold, to make alive that which is dead, to call higher our vision of who we are as your children, that we might show forth your glory as the revealed children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. If suffering must come to the church in America, may it be for your glory as we proclaim your name in all the earth. Father, we know that you are for us, so who can be against us? There is none. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We believe, Lord, that we are highly esteemed and dearly loved by you. And that understanding of your tender mercies towards us humbles us in your presence. We cry, Abba, Father, oh, we love thee. Jesus' name above all names, how we love thee. Gracious and powerful Holy Spirit, we love thee. Father, we agree together as touching these things in the name of Jesus for his glory. Amen. I don't know about you, but save the words of Jesus, the writings of the Apostle Paul to me are the most eloquent and powerful of any in Scripture. And the letter Romans is possibly the greatest book or letter ever composed. It's absolutely stunning to me how much truth and spiritual depth and dimension is compressed into Paul's long sentences. It's like one of those mattresses that you can order online today that when you unpack it, it expands and you can't believe they packed that much into that little box. Now that analogy obviously doesn't do justice to the word of God found in Romans 8, but you get the idea. Paul's life was one of suffering and hardship that brought forth teaching and instruction that was and is foundational in the life of believers and the church. And we're the benefactors again this morning. His words bring us connection to God, comfort, conviction, and strength in times like these. This morning, I want us to imagine for a moment that we are the church at Rome, receiving the words of life and truth from Paul, our brother in Christ. Imagine that instead of being confined to our homes, we're sequestered together as new believers, struggling to understand the depths of the gospel and what the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus means for us and for our futures. And we're soaking it all in like sponges. Just like the growing church in Rome in Paul's day, we're the little children that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 18. The disciples had just asked Jesus in Matthew 18, 1, who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus replied in verse three and four, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The little ones are true believers in Jesus. Jesus is comparing true believers from the vantage point of their childlike faith and trust in God. May we receive the word this morning with the anticipation of the church in Rome and with childlike trust that our Father loves us. Our big brother Jesus has us and the Holy Spirit leads us as we sung about. Let me begin this morning by reading Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God 
to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, we could add, or virus. Just as it is written, for your sake, we, for your sake we're being put to death all day long, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I wanted us to read the entire chapter 8 in Romans today for the context of our text. We obviously would need weeks to unpack all that Romans 8 contains, but I want us to focus this morning on just a couple of key verses. Romans chapter 8 is foundational and transformational in understanding who we are because of whose we are. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In chapter 8 of Romans, we transition from the conflict of our two natures, the spiritual and the flesh, found in chapter 7. And what a transformation it is with the declaration that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the law of sin and death by the work of Christ on the cross. Now what will be done in us is a work of the Holy Spirit. The first 13 verses of chapter 8 juxtapose and explain the differences between those who walk according to the flesh and those who walk according to the Spirit. Verse 9 confirms to us that if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in us, then we are in the Spirit and not in the flesh. We are alive because of the righteousness of Jesus. It's the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in you and I. Concentrate on that truth for a moment. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in you and I and calls us higher to live for Christ, to live in a manner worthy of that calling. Now skip with me to verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And verse 15, for you've not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul is encouraging us in our battle between the flesh and the Spirit to choose to live in the Spirit. And how do we know if we're the sons of God? If we're led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is not a spirit of slavery that leads to fear. No, 
The sons of God have received the spirit of adoption as sons that calls us deeply into relationship with the Father. And by that spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father, Papa. Verse 16 tells us that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Therefore, we know in whom we believed. There is a witness in our hearts that it is so. And not only children, but heirs. Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. In verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Since Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden because of their disobedience to God, creation has been in a state of decay. Every generation since has experienced decay, destruction, and death. And today our planet is sick, and the people that inhabit it are sick physically, socially, morally, and spiritually. Creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation longs to see things made right. We know that Christ has already won the victory in this, and we are eagerly awaiting for the culmination of the plan of God when Christ will rule and reign on the earth. Verse 21 tells us that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is the glory of the children of God? I believe it's when the children of God reflect truly the nature and glory of God the Father. We now look through a glass or mirror darkly, but then we will see Christ face to face. We will be transformed and we will be like him. Paul goes on in verses 22 through 25 to talk about creation's groaning, and we ourselves are groaning as we await eagerly for that adoption as sons. And Paul encourages us to have hope, and hope with perseverance. Now we come to the focus of my message. Verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there are a lot of things that you and I know to pray for. If we're prideful, we need to pray for humility. If we're sinful, we need to pray for forgiveness. If we're impatient with others, we need to pray for patience. If we have wronged someone, we know to pray for forgiveness after going to them. But sometimes we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. And in those times, the Spirit prays for us. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we cannot discern what the will of God is, and we just don't know what to do. If we humble ourselves before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit, He will help us in that weakness. He will speak to the Father about that area that we do not know how to pray as we should. Verse 27, who is he who searches the hearts? That's the Father. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is really interesting. 
the Spirit of God speaks to God the Father and asks him to accomplish the will of God the Father in the lives of the saints to make us more like Jesus. This is the Trinity in action. God sent his only son to deal a death blow to sin and to fulfill the law. And after Christ was ascended to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to then lead us, the little ones of faith, into a knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in him. When we don't know, how to, we don't know what to do and we don't know how to pray, the Spirit of God prays to God the Father for us. And to top it off, our big brother Jesus is seated beside the Father, and he is interceding in prayer for you and I as well. The Father knows the mind of the Spirit who is interceding for us, and whatever the Spirit asks of the Father, the answer is always yes, an emphatic yes. The Father never says no to the Spirit, so the Spirit decides the answer to the prayer that we don't know how to pray. It's a lot to think about. We can all think of times in our lives when we just honestly did not know the will of God in a particular situation. We did not know how to pray. Perhaps you're there this morning. I've shared several times. Last September, I was working in my office when suddenly I felt like a ton of bricks had been placed on my chest. I could not catch my breath. Thankfully, my first reaction was to pray. And I simply said, Lord, if this is my time, thank you. But if you're not finished with me yet, I'm willing to wait. There's that tension that Paul talks about that Bill referred to earlier of wanting to go but needing to stay. Paul had many instances in his life when he did not know how to pray. He entreated God three times to deliver him from a messenger of Satan that was tormenting him. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 16, it says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul did not pray with authority over that tormentor because he didn't know what God's will was concerning it. So rather, he chose to be content with the weakness for the glory of God. I did not know the will of God for me that moment in September. If I knew it was God's will for me to be healed, I would have prayed that way. I did not know, so I simply put myself into his hands and let it go. I believe in that situation, the Holy Spirit was praying for me, as were many of you. The Spirit prayed to the Father about my situation, and here I am. God's not done with me yet. Lord knows there's so much yet to be done. In closing, I want to remind us that none of us stands on our own. We're all standing on the shoulders of believers like Paul who've gone before us, and these are our great cloud of witnesses. I've put a lot of confidence in certain men and women of God for my spiritual direction in my life. I've looked to them for my theological grounding, 
people like J.L. and Pat Williams, John R.W. Stott, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Graham, Greg Edgerton, Preston Cheek, Bill King, Roger Banner, Camille Bishop, Mary McLaurin, my wife, you get the picture. I've spent a good bit of time the past couple of years listening to and reading the teachings and insights of Paul John Piper. And I hope you all don't get tired of my quoting him, but I, I believe his teaching and his insight in the word is so rich. Piper's done an extensive teaching on the book of Romans that I'm working through, and he has a great observation about verses 26 and 27 of Romans 8 that I want to share with you as we close this time in the Word. Piper gives five reasons why those two verses, 26 and 27, should encourage you. Number one, be encouraged that you're not expected to know the will of God in every situation. Don't carry a burden you don't have to carry. Number two, be encouraged that in your perplexity and groaning, you're not being watched. You're being understood. Do you ever view God as watching us with his arms crossed saying, come on, dummy, figure it out. <laughs> I gave you enough information to figure this out. I'll answer you when you ask me properly. What are you going to pray? Is that the pressure we feel about what to pray? Is that how we view God in this context? This is a believer not knowing how to pray in a situation, but praying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to pray, but may Christ be exalted in my life through this situation. The Holy Spirit tunes into those kind of groanings. The Holy Spirit then goes to the Father and he decides how you will glorify the Son and the Father does it. He is understanding you, not watching you. Number three, be encouraged that God's work for you is not limited to what you or I can understand or express with words. We can try to figure out what God is going to do and, or what God wants to do, but he's not limited to our understanding. God can do more than we can ask or even think. Number four, be encouraged that in your weakness and sickness and loss and hardship and danger, the Spirit of God is praying for you and not against you. Verse 26 says, he intercedes for you. Verse 31, if God is for you, who can be against you? And point number five, be encouraged that God the Father always hears the prayers of the Spirit and answers them yes. They're always prayers for you. The Holy Spirit never gets a no from the Father, and he always prays for you. The result of verses 26 and 27 are Romans 28, 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Not only is the Holy Spirit in this room praying for the saints who are perplexed about what they should ask for in this crisis, God always hears the prayers of God. God never says no to God. Did you get that? God never says no to God, and the Spirit is always praying for you to the Father. We know this morning many things that we need to pray, many things we should pray. We know from God's word certain things that are not in alignment with the word of God, and we can pray against those things and for other things. 
But let's face it, there are some things that we don't have a clue about how to pray into. When Daniel was praying, as we saw last week, fasting and crying for 21 days, he didn't know that God had sent an angel right away to help him, but that he was detained in a fierce battle for 21 days. But the Holy Spirit knew. We don't know how long the coronavirus is going to stay active or how many people will die as a result of it. We don't know if we will become infected, and if we do, whether we'll survive or go home to be with the Lord. We don't know whether we, don't know whether we will have a job next week or next month or how long the savings we've accumulated will last. But God knows. The Holy Spirit knows. We don't know how long America will have the freedom to worship and serve God freely. We don't know if persecution's coming or if suffering is ahead of us. But the Holy Spirit knows, and he will speak to the Father and decide how we will best glorify Christ in these situations with our lives. I'm okay with that. Are you? <laughs> and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Lord, we trust you. We place our full weight of trust in you. You are our beginning and our end. There is none like you. You are our refuge and our strength. Lord, I pray for your church that you will prepare us for your answer to the questions that we don't even know how to ask. That you'll be glorified in the way that we serve you, obey you, love you, and worship you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for praying for us. Thank you, Jesus, for interceding for us. Thank you, Father, for hearing and understanding. Lord, may our attitude be that of Paul. I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In Jesus' name, amen.